Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to begin this episode by turning to one of the most well-known and beloved of all of the Lord's parables. It is found in Luke chapter 10, and it is known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. We'll start reading in verse 25 and continue on through verse 37. This is what the passage tells us. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But, wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him, and went him off, leaving him half dead. And by chance a certain priest was going down on that road, And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. On several different occasions in the Gospels, the question was put to Jesus concerning what an individual should do to inherit eternal life. On this particular occasion, the question was put to him by a lawyer a man who by profession was an expert in Jewish law. He was a man who was supposed to know all of the answers, so to speak. So instead of answering, Jesus asked him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? The lawyer had a ready answer memorized and quick to come from his lips. He quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, and verse 18, showing that the law required love for God, and love for our fellow man. That was a good and true answer. But since the man had asked the question in the first place, not to learn but to test or to tempt the Lord, he wasn't satisfied. Hence the question, and who is my neighbor? The Lord's answer has left an indelible imprint on the conscience of mankind. The road connecting Jerusalem and Jericho was famous for many dangerous spots. Jerusalem was situated about 2,300 feet above sea level, 
while Jericho was located on a low plain near the Dead Sea at about 1,100 feet below sea level. While the road covered only 17 miles, it dropped 3,400 feet. It was a winding, turning, twisting, sharply dropping path that over the centuries had often been described as treacherous. Josephus, the Jewish historian, described it in the first century as desolate and rocky, and he said that it was infested with bandits. In the fourth century, Jerome called it the Red or Bloody Way. What happened to the victim in the story was not unusual and was something that the Lord's listeners could readily identify with. Four travelers are found in the parable. The first was the victim, undoubtedly a Jew. Second, there was a priest. There were many priests in Palestine. Since the time of David, the priest had been divided into 24 courses or orders, each serving in the temple twice a year, one week at a time. So it was not at all unusual to see priests on the road. This priest took one look at the wounded man and passed by on the other side. The third traveler was a Levite. The Levites were members of the tribe of Levi who were not priests. They served as assistants to the priest in the many functions of the temple services. This Levite, like the priest, took one look at the injured man and passed by on the other side. The last man to appear was a Samaritan. We need to understand that they were hated by the Jews. Viewed as a mongrel race, and the animosity between them was of long standing. When the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians in 722-721 BC, thousands of Israel's leading citizens were deported and replaced by peoples brought in from other conquered countries. In time, the Israelites who were left in the land intermarried with the foreigners, and the result was that mixed race. The Jews could not forget that. You might recall the woman at Jacob's well said to Jesus in John chapter 4 and verse 9, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. As I look at this story, isn't it easy to see that the Lord was teaching the need for compassion? I think of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And one of the Beatitudes begins with, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I think of the Lord's statement in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36, where he said, And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful." Again, I think of Paul's exhortation in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 when he wrote, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The Lord calls for compassion. 
It is so easy to come up with a hundred different reasons not to be compassionate. They don't deserve help. Although I think one of the points of the parable is not who deserves help, but who needs help. We can say they brought it on themselves, and that may very well be. But didn't the victim in the parable do the same by walking down that road of such a reputation all by himself? We all know of the Good Samaritan, we all remember him, but do you know why? It is because of his compassion, prompted action. That is why he is remembered. He was compassionate and he did something. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, John wrote these words, But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. James in James chapter 2, verses 15 through 16 wrote, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you said to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is needful or necessary for their body, what use is that? Compassion is not real if it's just an emotion. Real compassion affects the way that we live. We were in Luke 6 earlier, and we began reading there in verse 32. But verse 31 is applicable here. It is known as the golden rule. And it says, and just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. Surely this was the rule the Samaritan lived by. Could it be that when he saw the man lying on the road, he saw himself and knew what he must do? He stopped and went to the man. He gave him first aid, put him on his own animal, led him to the inn, watched over him through the night, and the next morning, when he had to go on his way, he made sure that the man would receive the additional care he needed. Being a Christian is more than going to church three times a week. Christianity is a life of service, motivated by compassion. It is love in action. While Christians have a responsibility as individuals to be compassionate and willing to help all people as we have the opportunity and the ability to do so, there is no doubt that the Bible places a special emphasis upon our care, concern, and compassion for each other as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Look with me, if you would, at Galatians chapter 6, verses 9-10. through 10. Paul wrote, And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We can see that preference is to be given toward those who are Christians, however, not to the exclusion of others. Now let us move on to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. There we find, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. This chapter begins with the contrast of Galatians 5 verse 26 where Paul wrote, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. The point is that instead of being boastful, instead of challenging and envying one another, Christians could be concerned to help their brothers and sisters in every possible way. This includes even in the realm of sin. 
I don't mean to help them to sin, but help them when they do sin. Paul is describing the case of a brother who has become involved in some sin, some departure from God's way. His involvement in that sin might be caused by ignorance, weakness of the flesh, the persuasion or bad example of others, or some other reason. In compassion, when a faithful child of God finds a brother or sister who has fallen, he does not use that occasion to further grind him or her into the dirt. He does not approach him with arrogance or harshness, but rather with gentleness, seeking to restore the fallen brother or sister to faithfulness. Remember the golden rule. A faithful child of God will always approach his brother or sister in Christ who has been caught up in a sin with the true spirit of meekness. Why? Because a true Christian knows that on some occasion, under a different set of circumstances, that brother might be confronting him with one of his sins. We will lend a sympathetic helping hand, never seeking to minimize the sin, but always being aware of the power of temptation to sin and the weakness of the flesh. But this idea of compassion among us is not limited to when one of us sins. It is all-inclusive. We are to bear one another's burdens. There are times in our lives when the difficulties become extremely heavy and we begin to bend a little under the weight. This is what a Christian's brothers and sisters in Christ need to be there to help them with. What might those burdens be? We don't have time really to list all of the possibilities and all of the realities of what actually is. It might be a burden of sickness. It might be a burden of death in the family. The death of a loved one that is almost too difficult for the ones left behind to, to feel. It could be financial problems, or maybe marital problems, or it could be problems with children, any one of a thousand things that might be causing a brother or sister to be oh so burdened down. When we think about that, it might be the reason why a brother didn't say hello this morning or walk right by your outstretched hand as though he didn't even see you. That might be why somebody seemed to respond in a quick or harsh manner to a question you asked or a comment you made. We don't always know what is happening in the lives of our spiritual family. On such occasions, we are there to help, not criticize, unless constructive, helpful criticism delivered in the spirit of meekness is what is most needed at the time. I believe the compassion called for among brethren should come easily. It should be natural for those who are so close and intimately involved with one another. In Romans 12 and verse 15, we see a practical application of this compassion and sympathy. Paul wrote, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Accordingly, when one of us is joyous or glad, we should also rejoice and be glad with them over their good fortune. When a brother or sister is outwardly mourning and lamenting, they should find in us a sympathetic, compassionate spirit that will share their grief. The very same idea was expressed by Paul over in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 26 when he wrote, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is the manner in which Christians are to help each other bear the heavy burdens of life. On some occasions, all that is really needed is someone to listen, maybe a shoulder to cry on. On other occasions, it may be a helping hand, a hand that gives any kind of physical help that is needed and financial assistance when called for impossible. What is it all about? It is about fulfilling the law of Christ. 
I believe that the law of Christ referred to by Paul is the law of love. Look at John chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. All of the commandments revealed through our Lord and binding upon men today are undergirded by love. That would be the love of God manifested in sending his only begotten Son, the love of Jesus and his willingness to come and spend his life serving man and ultimately giving his life for us, and the love that we are to have toward one another. No Christian should ever have to bear their burdens without the help of brothers and sisters. That support system is truly one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I hope that you can see from our lesson today some of what you are missing, some of what God has provided for his children with his brothers and sisters in Christ. If you are a Christian, I hope that it has been beneficial for you to be reminded of these things. In either way, thanks for listening.